Church, I am stoked because we're starting a new series today, and I'm always stoked when we start a new series because I see the thought process that goes into it, and I'm excited for all of those things to come out to you, to do with your community groups. But I'm even more stoked because we have a special guest that's going to be taking us through this series for the entire month of July. Pastor Brandon Smith, my friend, my brother, is here. He's the pastor of Peace City Church. He was a, a pastoral resident here at the well several years ago. So you all are going to be blessed by him in this series. Pastor Brandon, come on up. Let's give him a clap. Thanks, bro. It's always incredible being at the well and being intro uh, by Bobby in the summertime because we're actually brothers and friends because in the fall we're enemies being that he's a Steelers fan and I'm a Baltimorean. But I love them. It's good to be back here at the well. And uh, when my mentor, my brother in Christ, Matt, said, hey, I need a break, man. I said, say less. I got you. I'm always excited to come back uh, home in some sorts, to come and preach. Um, and right now, I've got to say, this is extremely encouraging. People. <laughs> Seeing People. And preaching. Blessings to you all from Peace City Church. Our text for the day was just read, but let me give you a little bit of an overview of this mini-series that we're going to be going through. It's going to be anchored each week for the next three, I think four weeks. I think Matt's going to preach the last week, but for the next month, it's going to be anchored in Acts 2, starting with verse 42. So each week, the sermon and the text of that sermon is going to be anchored in Acts 2, 42. I'm going to read that for you real quick. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, God, for strength and perseverance. It's been tough. And obviously we can look back in history and compare and say it hasn't been as tough as this era or this time, but nonetheless, we're weak beings and it's been tough. Yet you've been there. We thank you for it. And so be with us this, this day, Lord, for the next three days, for the next three weeks, I mean, or four weeks, and soften our hearts, Father. Give us an eagerness to hear from you, to be strengthened by you, and to glorify you with our lives, Lord. Speak through me, Lord. Have this message be received by your children that we would live lives that though they're ordinary, it would be awesome. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so you, you may be thinking, what does this kind of anchored text have to do with this entire series and everything else? I think Acts 2, in the beginning of Acts 2, the context around our anchored series is where a lot of maybe misguidance may come. Because there's some incredible stuff that's happening in Pentecost. I mean... 
You have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You have all these things happening. Um, people speaking in different languages, people being from the native areas of those languages, understanding them, prophesying visions. And I think as a result of that, we've kind of taken a little bit of that and it's transformed into some seeking of mysticism in our faith where our church services, it's some experience we have to get. And if there's not some crazy, super crazy experience, then it's not working. Or when we read the scriptures, if I didn't get the goosebumps or, or the thing that happened that one time, then it's not that significant. And I should be chasing that every single time. But there's something very interesting about what happens after this very crazy event in Acts 2. After all of the pouring of the Spirit, after the visions happening, after the healings happening, not only that, above all, obviously the spiritually dead are now resurrected to life. After all of that happens, another supernatural thing happens, the birth of the church, Jesus' bride. So we have this crazy supernatural event And then the follow-up to all of that, it seems quite ordinary. They devoted themselves to biblical teaching, fellowship, prayers, and eating together. Seems pretty basic, but it's incredibly awesome. And even I think after the year that we've had, or two years, I, I literally don't even know. When I say year, two years, I forgot, I don't even know. The time is mushed together for me. I genuinely don't know. But after that year we've had, we've recognized how awesome it is just to talk to someone. It can be very ordinary, and there are aspects of our faith that are extremely ordinary, but we've fallen away from them because we've misunderstood ordinary for boring or useless. Meanwhile, The follow-up to this incredibly supernatural event, the ushering in of the new covenant of God's people through which he brings the good news to a dead generation is a bunch of basic ordinary stuff. Being devoted to teaching, gathering together, prayers, eating together. And so the whole thing around this series is going to be this idea of ordinary awesome. I think we use awesome kind of loosely sometimes. We can look at uh, a beautiful sunset, recognize that there's nothing we did to create the sun. There's nothing we did to paint the colors in the sky. And we can recognize, man, that's awesome. That's awe-inspiring. And then we can eat a good steak and say, yeah, that's awesome. Like, are they comparable? Are they both awesome? Are there levels to this? And there is some aspects where they merge. When we look at what is ordinary in life, what can be normal in a sense, but still be awe-inspiring. I think it's the life of the church that we see that. Getting back to the basics. Wouldn't it be awesome to get back to the basic identity of the church I think a lot of us can read Acts 2 and we can see all these beautiful things like, man, that's incredible. It is. To showcase the extraordinary beauty of God's supernatural work through his church, through ordinary things. To showcase 
God's beauty through our obedience to his word. And so I want to highlight in this series three ordinary things that we should seek to draw towards as a church. Ordinary intimacy with God, that's this week. Ordinary fellowship and ordinary evangelism. Because when these things are lived out, they're truly awesome. They're truly awesome. As we focus on intimacy, Bobby read our passage in 2 Timothy. And there are three things I want you to know about intimacy. The scriptures teach intimacy in a sufficient way. God has called us to pursue intimacy with him. And for weak human beings, God is absolutely everything that we need in moral failure and in physical weakness. He's a confidant and he's our strength. So the scriptures teach intimacy in a sufficient way. God has called us to pursue him intimately. And he is absolutely everything we need as weak human beings. He is a confidant and he is our strength. The scriptures, they teach intimacy sufficiently. Verse 16 in our passage for today. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Like, when was the last time you found yourself running to the scriptures? Because it's like, oh man, I just, I just need to be corrected. There's an aspect of the scriptures that kind of rubs us the wrong way. And, and I'm, whenever I say us, I mean that literally. These are... These are things that as human beings, we all struggle with. That's why we encourage one another. That's why we remind each other of the truth. But we, we stay away from the scriptures because of what it reveals to us, what it reveals about us. And we've forgotten that it's good what it reveals about us because it simultaneously reveals it about the heavenly one, the holy one. Sometimes... This is not very profound, but we think it's boring. I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like reading the scriptures. I mean, sometimes I can do it because I know that, like, I'm supposed to do it. This is a check mark I need to do. I'm a Christian. I didn't read my Bible last week. I got to read it this week. But we don't actually pursue intimacy through the reading of the scriptures. But here's something beautiful. The daily engagement of the scriptures is very ordinary. It's very ordinary. Flipping the pages open and reading. Meanwhile, what happens over time to us is supernatural. It's awesome. It's incredibly awesome. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've met and had dinner with friends from high school, and every single one of them are always telling me, Doug, I don't know you. I don't know who you are anymore. And it warms my heart to hear that. It warms my heart because there's nothing I've done. Sufficiently, the scriptures are profitable for having taught me and taught you. You learn about God. They're profitable for reproof. You are guided by him. Profitable for correction. You're going to constantly want to go that way, but they'll turn you and make you go that way because that's where it's good. Profitable for training you in righteousness. You're conformed to his nature more and more. Dead parts of you stripped away, torn away. Daily engagement in the scriptures, and they're sufficient 
If you ever ask the question, oh man, if I could just be a complete person, woman, man of God, what do I need? The scriptures. They're sufficient. We find ourselves in intimacy the more and more we pursue the scriptures. It's hard to pursue the scriptures well and not fall in love with its author. The scriptures are sufficient to teaching us intimacy with its author. Number two, the Lord has called us to pursue intimacy with him. What does that look like? uh, Many of us, I'm sure, are familiar with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is obviously pursuing the Lord in, in such a way, but this is coming from language of devotion. This comes from Deuteronomy 6. It, transforms or it transfers over to the new covenant, but it comes from Deuteronomy 6. Let me tell you, uh, let me read for you the section in, in what Paul is telling Timothy, how this connects, and then I'll go into what this means. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Continue what you've learned. Remember who taught it to you. Sacred writings. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6 for you, starting with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Guys, this is language of devotion. What it means to be devoted, loyal to your God. This transfers over into the new covenant. This is what salvation is. This is what faith is. Believing loyalty. little trivia, if you've ever been interested in the language in Revelation 13 with the mark of the beast and all of that other stuff, it's actually tied to this. This is called the Shema. Language of hand and frontlets between your eyes. It's language of devotion in ancient, uh, ancient Near Eastern literature. So whatever everyone else is saying about that, in addition, what it's at the foundation tied to, it's tied to devotion. There are going to be people who are devoted to Yahweh and people who are not. Devoted to anti-Yahweh. Intimacy with the Lord looks like devotion. Paul is telling Timothy, hey, remember the devotion that's been taught to you through the scriptures. Because they're taught sufficiently so. Remember who taught them to you. Because that's where wisdom comes. So I think what will help us is to remember that devotion is way greater than duty. I talked about this earlier in the other text, but there's a lot of, it's just very easy for us in our faith to get into the motions of dutifulness. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I have to do. I mean, haven't you been to those weddings that are so beautiful when they say, I take you to be my lawfully wedded husband because I have to? 
Devotion is so much more beautiful. Duty flows from it, yeah, but they're distinct. Attending church, is it duty or is it devotion? Is it pursuing intimacy or is it checking things off? Prayer, Bible reading, duty or devotion? Do you find yourself pursuing a person in your church attendance, prayer and scripture reading? Or do you find yourself saying, man, I'm falling off and I need to do something with my own hands to rectify the situation? See, intimacy with the Lord would actually give you a beautiful answer in that. Because as we pursue him in devotion, you will inevitably continue to realize that you are a failure. That comes with the package. It comes with the package. There will be many things that you fail at. But intimacy with the Lord makes you realize that, next point, he is our confidant to the morally weak. The scripture is being profitable for reproof and for correction. That's why it's good. The more and more we fall in love with the Lord, the more and more we know that the dead parts about us need to be taken away. And I know that he can be the one to take it away. I need to dwell with him more. We have this issue as human beings not really believing we're as bad as we are. We practice it in many ways, one, internalizing it just with ourselves and saying, look, I'm not that bad a person, or even if I made this mistake, look, 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 that's not me, that's not me, I'm actually a good person, I, I just did a bad thing. Another way we do it is comparably, we see another person and maybe they're worse than us and it makes us feel a little better actually. I mean, we can, you know, say, oh man, I'm so sorry, but I feel a little better because you seem worse than me. And I've been feeling bad myself, but this helps. And it's because of that that we get perplexed when we see things like David being called a man after God's own heart. So like, wait, 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 what? A man after God's own heart? No, 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 that's the man that saw the girl naked on the roof and then sent her husband to war to kill her after he already slept with her so he can have him to herself, probably against her will. That's who David is. I would never do anything like that. I should be a person after God's own heart. But you know what links it back, and you know what gives David the freedom to pray a prayer like he does in Psalm 51, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. Iniquity, I was birthed. It's devotion. It's intimacy. The reason why David can be seen as a man after God's own heart is because even in his failure, he knows who his confidant is. There are certain things that we show in our failures regarding our devotion. Maybe we're devoted to works and we fail and we've got to do a bunch of stuff to get out of the hole. Or maybe we just sit in shame because we don't feel we have a confidant. David shows his devotion 
by reaffirming his moral weakness to only one who knows it best and can heal it. Paul does the same thing in Romans 7. Oh, wretched sinner that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? It's a rhetorical question because he answers it. Thanks be to God. There's an accurate view of who you are as an individual when there's an intimacy with the Lord. And it's a good view to have because it points you to him as these men were. And you know what ends up happening? What ends up happening when you truly recognize that you aren't good, that any aspect of good comes from Jesus, <laughs> then, then you can actually see others accurately. Examples in Scripture. Let's do extreme ones. Stephen is being beaten to death, and he's praying for the people who are beating him. Talk about discomfort. Conviction. Why would he do such a thing? Well, because his king hung from a cross and did the same thing. And prayed for the people who put him there. We see each other accurately. You see someone who wrongs you and you recognize that they don't have the intimacy with the Lord that you do and you're brokenhearted for them rather than angry at them. He's a confidant for the morally weak, but he is also a rock and fortress to the physically weak. Verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Paul is saying, Timothy, you've paid attention. You've seen my life. The struggle is real. You've seen the things that I've gone through. You've seen the persecutions I've endured. You've seen my response to all those things. And I can imagine Timothy reading that like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, I, I watched it. I was there. I've seen it. And, and I praise God for even the way you've responded. I've seen the way you've responded to all these circumstances. What does that have to do with me? And Paul is saying, because you're going to go through that too. Now, how do you know? Well, everybody who wants to live a godly life will experience this. Different forms, different ways, different magnitudes, yes, but nonetheless. I think it, it, it bodes well for us to really grasp this because our failure to grasp it is actually why Jesus addressed with his disciples what it meant to follow him. He's given some clarification in Matthew 16 when he's saying, hey, look, what it means to follow me involves self-denial and cross-bearing. And the moment where you want to save your life, that's when you lose it. The moment you're willing to lose your life for my sake, that's when you find it. There's going to be a lot of moments for the Christian where the world will remind you you're a foreigner. And there's two options. It's to either conform and say, well, I don't want to be a foreigner. But one who has intimacy with the Lord sees their sufferings as fellowship with their king. He walks with us in this. Those who slander you, 
talk about you behind your back, mistreat you, abuse you. Paul considers that fellowship. Humans doing harm to humans is ordinary. Being harmed in a way that it's considered fellowship with the creator of the world is awesome. Some people take this passage and take the principle of this passage to be like, look, we're foreigners. People are going to be mad at us anyway, so let's go rage against the machine. Let's go and make some people angry. I confess to you, that bone exists in me. But the way the Lord humbles me is to see how Jesus was as a peaceable person. I think it was Francis Schaeffer that said, peace if possible, truth at all costs. You pair that with what Charles Spurgeon said. to said, take care if the world does hate you, that it hates you without a cause. If the world is to oppose you, it's of no use making the world oppose you. This world is bitter enough without my putting vinegar in it. So it's good to remember not to seek to make people oppose you, but it's also good to remember that the world opposes the truth. So don't try to make the world accept you by readjusting the truth. That's the temptation. That's the struggle. That's what Paul is reminding Timothy. Hey, look, if you want to pursue godliness, you're going to pay for it in some way. We are the salt of the earth. Being the salt of the earth is not simply making things you do and say more palatable. There is an aspect of it maybe. Salt enhances. Salt preserves. But it irritates as well. Otherwise, we just let in, be letting ice and snow sit on our streets untouched. What does the salt of the earth do to ice cold hearts with the gospel? There's nothing else you need to add. So why am I talking about all this? Paul is talking about suffering in this world because intimacy with the Lord allows you to run to him because you're weak. You live a godly life and the world will continue to remind you your weakness, your physical weakness. This world is broken. You did, it, just in marriage, in parenting, in working, it doesn't matter. You're going to be reminded that you're weak, you're needy. Intimacy with the Lord reminds you he's your rock and your fortress. Timothy, you've recognized all the things that I've been through, but you've also recognized my response to them. How can my response to the beatings and the imprisonments and the persecutions be with so much love and patience? intimacy with the Lord. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. See, intimacy with the Lord helps us to know that sometimes the Lord prevents us from entering into storms. And sometimes he saves us by putting us through them. I know countless people who have either come to faith or have grown closer to the Lord through suffering some form he's the closest to the needy he's closest to the broken 
I actually have a theory. I think that aspects of our just gathering on church in the the grand scheme of modern-day Christianity today, it can seem a bit boring and traditional and ritualistic because we just aren't pouring ourselves out Monday through Saturday. And so Sunday isn't an opportunity to come crawling to the well of living water, pun intended, and be nourished by him. So we're bored. I'm not focused on the nourishment I'm getting from the Lord with the words of this song we're saying. I just know I don't like that song. It doesn't really do much for me. I don't feel like serving. This is too early. This is too loud. We're so bored that our attention is on so much else except for the throne of God. But I promise you, something as simple as just sharing your faith consistently, it'll be so refreshing to be around brothers and sisters just once a day a week. So refreshing. We're needy. We'll always be needy. Being needy is good. Jesus says those who are spiritually needy are blessed. The poor in spirit, recognizing there's absolutely nothing I can offer to God regarding righteousness. That immediately leads to seeking out who can do it. You find it in him. You're blessed when you're weak. You realize it. These are ordinary things. Ordinary ways, engaging the Lord through scripture, engaging the Lord in devotion, prayer, fellowship. Ordinary things for those hidden in Christ. But they're awesome. And they show awesome results. We often want our hands on it. We often want to bring the awesomeness out through our own working, but the Lord does it. And in the midst of it, we need reminders. That's the basis of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. I'm going to end with this verse. That according, in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted grounded language of intimacy in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God that's awesome we live in this broken world in our flesh If it's not externally being opposed, internally we're opposing ourselves. Trying to earn righteousness with our hands or trying to remind ourselves that we haven't received Jesus. And Paul's prayer is that, man, I pray that you would just know just how vast his love is for you. Because that comes through an intimacy that you just can't comprehend. 
But if you go through life the way that I've gone through life, if you end up in a situation like Stephen or like anyone else who followed after Jesus immediately, or if you've just been in a marriage where your spouse doesn't love you, or if you're just parenting and your kids just don't listen to you, or if you're at work and you're being isolated and you're being ostracized because you're the weird Jesus freak. Intimacy with the Lord says, hey, look, come to me. I know what it's like to be ostracized. Or, hey, come to me. I know what it's like to have children who don't listen. Come to me. I know what it's like to have a spouse reject you. That intimacy reminds us that God's love is so vast and what we've received through Christ, it actually can't be spoken accurately, but it's there. So as we transition to communion, this is what we do. I think that you all have individual communion. Okay. Um, Bobby, could I get a, I don't know what you guys use, but this is what communion is. It's a reminder of intimacy. It's quite ordinary here. Not every church does it every week. It's quite ordinary, but it's awesome. It's a reminder. One, we always go back to the scriptures in coming to communion because they're sufficient to remind us of what's been done to provide such an intimacy. We drink the blood to remember that Jesus is our true confidant to a morally corrupt individual. And this blood has changed that scenario. Though my flesh is still weak, I am no longer seen as corrupt. I have been called righteous, perfect, because every aspect of imperfection has been cleansed through his blood. We take the bread and to know that either we will not suffer the way Jesus suffered in the eternal sense, because he was our lamb, but also the suffering that we endure in this world where our bodies are weak and they're broken. We have fellowship with a king who endured it all and raised to life. That's the hope, and we're reminded of it. And so before you take this, spend some time, just as we did in the beginning, but intentionally spend time confessing to the Lord ways that you haven't been devoted be reminded that you can actually with confidence confess this to him because it changes nothing for the one who's in Christ but now we get to draw close be reminded of what he's done for you be encouraged recognize that you do this on a weekly basis it can be ordinary but please dwell on what's awesome about it